see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, I'm Sean Riley, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. Most PAC Expo forum sessions involve discussions and Q&As on trends or issues that need addressing in the packaging and processing industry. Each day, as a bonus to attendees, I sit down with two of our esteemed editors from PMMI Media Group to talk about actual solutions from the show floor that attendees can stop by and take a look at. Since everyone can't get to every booth, Matt Reynolds from Packaging World Magazine, Stephanie Neal from OEM, and myself also share the podcast after the fact. For those who may have missed the show or exhibitors who just want to know what is popping up in the industry, let's have a listen. Welcome to the Daily Download. Most forum sessions usually involve discussions on things that are happening in the industry. The beauty of this forum session is we have two of our esteemed editors from PMMI Media Group, and they're going to talk about actual solutions that they have seen out on the show floor that you can stop by and take a look at while you're here. And for those of you online, you can visit their online booths or you can go to their websites to find out about some of this information. To my immediate right, I have Matt Reynolds from Packaging World Magazine, and next to him, Stephanie Neal from OEM. So I guess to kick things off, Matt, I guess just give us, you've been out there for a couple hours. What have you seen so far at Pack Expo East? Yeah, um, well, three hours isn't a whole lot of time to get, to catch, to get a, a real pulse of the show. But one thing that we knew that was occurring even prior to the show was uh, sustainability is on every brand's brain, basically. They're working towards goals of 2025 or 2030 uh, to make these, they made these goals for uh, sustainability claims. So they need materials that are going to be more recyclable. So uh, a lot of uh, folks on the show floor are demonstrating new materials, films uh, that are monolayer as opposed to the pre- their predecessors, which might have been multi-layer laminates, because they're more easily recyclable. One I saw out there is Zacros. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I might not be pronouncing it correctly, but uh, basically they're going from what used to be a multi-layer laminate structure to a, a monolayer uh, PE, polyethylene, I think it's low density uh, stuff that they worked on in Japan with uh, Procter & Gamble. And the brand is uh, Pantene. We all know the hair care brand. Uh, so this is a refill pouch that they're actually demonstrating. So it would be a durable, uh, reusable package that they're using over and over again. And then the, the pouch itself with spout uh, is, is refillable or it uses a, a refill pouch. And again, that can be uh, recycled more easily because it's all polyethylene. It's all one material. Even the spout itself can be uh, placed with a high density stuff. So it's going into the, the same recycling stream. So a lot of people are struggling with sustainability. A lot of new films are out there. Uh, there's other materials too. Veritiv is uh, 
uh, working on, we, we all know of like, let's say HelloFresh or uh, Blue Apron, these meal kits. Um, they've, they've had trouble because uh, there's a lot of packaging that's involved and consumers recognize that. Uh, so uh, Veritiv has actually put together, the company that they're working with is called Storapack. Uh, and they have starch insulated panels. So these panels are designed to go inside the corrugated case and uh, with the assistance of a refrigerant, so some sort of uh, uh, you know, a, a, a cooler or something like that, like an ice, tri- uh, ice cooler, uh, be able to maintain the cold chain for food in these kinds of uh, 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 meal kit situations. So again, a lot of new materials on the show floor worth checking out. And I know that's a huge issue with the meal kits. Um, everybody was all, ex- especially during... Uh, the pandemic or the height of the pandemic um everybody was doing a lot of cooking at home and everybody was embracing the like you said the hello freshes i don't want to leave out any of the brand names um but as you also added everything comes in its own individual package so it was literally five times as much trash for lack of a better word as you would have after a regular cooking a meal and I know that that was something that was an issue. So I'm sure there's going to be people here looking for those types of solutions. Now, Steph, you're a little more um, machinery-based uh, with OEM Magazine. So what have you seen out there from a machine standpoint? Well, um, I like to tackle the show like I tackle the grocery store and go on the outer aisles first, which is exactly what I did. And I found this startup called Tudor Intelligence, And they are a bunch of MIT researchers who were trying to solve a problem around pick and place. And um, they were studying uh, robot intelligence, and they have developed some vision software that can work with cobots and with any gripper. And there's no programming needed. It's very much a, um, you know, drag and drop menu type of thing. And... The interesting thing here is not only can it work with different materials, they're showing some candies, different shapes and sizes, and picking and placing it, but you can start it up in minutes. He says it's just as easy as starting up a printer, but they're also going to rent these out. So it's going to solve a workforce problem if you don't have people on the line and you want to get a a robot in there quickly, you can bring it in and within a couple of minutes have it going. You can program it and it's... um, it's an intelligence that will learn. I mean, it keeps learning as you teach it, but it's it's really supposed to, more than anything, solve a workforce problem. So we're going to be positive and not say someone got sick, but Bob's going on vacation for a week. Yeah. I can bring this tutor robot in and fill Bob's role for while he's sunning. Yeah, because ultimately, even though it is vision software and it is a robot, they're calling themselves a robot staffing agency. Um, So they have pilot projects now. They're here to find some new customers. And um, it's really sort of a a dynamic company, so I'd encourage everybody to go take a look. The other company that I stumbled across was Wenexia, and they're based right here in Pennsylvania. They're they're a machine builder and a systems integrator. And in 2021... They started a robot division, and you know them, Sean. You, yes. You've talked to them. You've written about them. But they came out with a cobot palletizer, which is for heavy lifting, so it can um, lift up to 38-pound um, packages. And, uh, again, I'm told this is to solve a workforce issue because you want to take people off of those mundane tasks that can be dangerous because if you're, living, you're lifting heavy um, packages. And... Um, 
and again, it's it's easy it's easy to set up and, and use. So that seems to be a theme, you know, being able to set these robots up really quickly. And um, those are the two main robot things that I saw that thing, really piqued my interest. The thing that gets lost with, I mean, we people in the industry know this, but kind of in the mainstream is that the robots are here to replace people and put them out of work versus what you just explained, the robots actually coming in and it's taking the place of doing jobs that people don't want to be involved with doing that are dangerous, that are dirty, that is, like you said, mundane, repetitive, things that they're going to end up quitting because they don't want to you know, do the same thing over and over again so they can be moved up to do you know, a, a position that uses their talents better and you can use that, that kind of cobot, something like that, to lift the 38-pound box or whatever repetitively. So that's awesome because it, it is constantly a workforce issue in our industry. Yep. Matt, anything you've seen out there on yeah, the I mean, robot I, beat? I echo exactly what she's saying. The, 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 what used to be uh, the space of the cobot was extremely slow and low payload and we're seeing those uh, kind of uh, limitations erode and it's moving up into the higher payloads, higher speeds. Now, of course, they're still collaborative, so if a person were to enter right. into the space, they would immediately slow down or stop. But you're seeing what are considered collaborative robots that are much higher speed, much higher payload than they were before, or smaller. They're just pushing on the edges of what used to be the limitations of the, the collaborative. I mean, I think uh, Columbia Okura is showing their uh, MiniPal, for instance. So moving smaller, moving uh, larger, moving faster, uh, just kind of pushing, I guess the lines are blurring between traditional robotics and yeah. collaborative robotics. Well, I agree. And the Wenexia one, I mean, we, when I think of a collaborative robot, I think of a, a tiny little desk robot that's kind of like picking and placing. This is a giant arm you know, that has an extended reach. So to your point, they're getting bigger. Um, they can do more. There's more applications. And they're easier to use. And they're safer. Yeah, they can operate with like, teach pendants and so on. So it's almost, you can, uh, it's to the point where somebody with no training whatsoever can get these up, up and running pretty quickly. See, when I think of a collaborative robot, the th first thing that comes to mind is the Roomba vacuums <laughs> and how they go around your house and they... That's the smaller application I'm thinking of. Eventually, it figures out not to run into me. Like, but now, like you're saying, Steph, you're talking about a, a big thing that's lifting, you know, 38 pounds. I keep saying that, and I hope that's the number you said. Otherwise, I'm repeating the wrong number over and over again. But hopefully, that was it. But clearly, they're getting into bigger applications that can then again take these things away from people that shouldn't be doing that, that sort of thing over and over again. Nobody yeah. should be lifting 38 pounds over and over again. Exactly. I think it's Unless you're a weightlifter. Yeah, <laughs> we'll allow that for them. Right. And I, I mean, I do that this issue of robots taking away jobs from people, I think we've talked about it over and over, and it's just not the case. People are now elevated to do better jobs, more, you know, to, they can be the they can be programming the robot or the, the supervisor of a fleet of robots, which is a much better job than, than lifting boxes. I love it. And, and, and those are two, three, four great examples of things that, that people can see out here now. Um, we have some people that are uh, here listening to us in the audience. Any questions you might have for um, either Matt or Stephanie um, to about anything that they've seen, whether on the show floor or through their coverage of the industry? And remember, it's only been three hours. So, <laughs> so um, I'd love to hear, you know, you talked about uh, uh, the reskilling aspect of the robotics. Um, how, are, how have you seen people address this now, right? Because the skill set for 
the uh, immensely repeatable task versus what you imagine as the programming, the immensely repeatable task is drastically different. So have you seen people be able to, um, you know, transition those workers from, you know, one task to the other? Um, I, I guess I would weigh in by saying that, um, especially with the pandemic, people left their jobs and they're trying to find a new job, right? So they're not going to want to go to a warehouse or to a, a factory floor and pick and play something, but they might want to be a robot engineer. So it's about maybe the messaging and something that we've been trying to do with this industry for a long time, which is to change the image of manufacturing. It is no longer a dark and dirty and dangerous place to work. It's a great place to work. So with that, the next generation as well, the digital natives, they grew up with, you know, on, on their on their iPads and their phones and playing the games. So they want a job where they're interacting with a computer screen versus an assembly line. Yeah, and I would say you're right. It, is, it can be considered a double-edged sword because, uh, you know, the job that you're replacing, uh, it, it requires a whole lot more training in a lot of cases. Uh, but I think companies in general are making the shift from uh, they're, they're no longer hiring and training uh, operators. They're tr- hiring and training technicians. So it's like the, the, the mental shift between uh, operator and technician is what's happening right now. And there's a lot more hours of training that go into it, but it's it a it's a double-edged sword, like you said. And I think to kind of piggyback off of that, it was the first thing I thought of, and Steph touched on it a bit, but when we had the, a similar discussion like this at uh, PAC Expo Las Vegas in the fall, we were talking a lot about automation, and a lot of the things that our editors were discovering was that the machinists, the uh, the OEMs that are making the machines or designing the machines are incorporating more of a interactive, similar to a tablet type interface so that it's not that difficult to teach someone how to get up and running on a robot or get someone up and running on uh, automation that, you know, 10, 5, 10 years ago would have been much more difficult to explain. So I think that is something that making the machine easier to use and more um, uh, user friendly, I guess, is something that I think we've all kind of seen. Yeah, and I mean, I was sitting in on the um, forum session with Stephen Gerard on the great resignation, right? And one of the things that came up in that conversation from the audience members was how do we manage all these different generations, but also how do we carve out a career path for them, right? That's really important. It's valuable to this next generation of the workforce. And I think these higher level types of jobs gives them a better path or they can see where they could be going and sort of elevate their skill set versus, you know, working on an assembly line. So thank you very much for taking time to uh, sit in with us for this daily download. Uh, Matt, I want to thank you for taking time to uh, sit down with me and Stephanie as well. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.